Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast with Dr. Lance Miller. Each week, we bring you interviews with the top minds in the orthodontic profession in order to heighten your expertise, boost your motivation, and raise your skills. Join us as we help doctors take their practices and their lives to the next level. And now, here's your host, Dr. Lance Miller. Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast. I'm Dr. Lance Miller. It's a pleasure to have you with us, as always. I'm recording this slope side here in Solitude, Utah. I've had the privilege of spending the weekend in Park City with uh, some orthodontists in the Orthodontic Exchange Study Group. And now I'm just spending a few more days with my family, trying to get some more runs in here and enjoy the beautiful scenery and the snow. Luckily, we did get some snow out here after uh, what was a slow start to the winter. So they they got it just in time for my arrival. And uh, it's been fantastic. So that's, that's been really great. We've got a great podcast today. You're going to really enjoy listening to this podcast about issues affecting new and younger orthodontists, more recent graduates. And I think our guest today provides some great perspective on that. I wanted to start today by talking about something that's been on my mind again recently. And we might have mentioned this in a previous podcast. But I wanted to ask you what your reaction was to bad news. When your staff brings you something that's going on in the office, how do you react? Do you shoot the messenger? And get angry? Uh, do you moan and groan and kind of say, why do I have to deal with these problems constantly? But I want to challenge you to be thankful to your staff that they've brought you a problem. The alternative is they could have ignored it or hid it from you. And so I think whenever our staff brings us a problem, we really need to engage with that. The worst thing that can happen is that you make the experience so unpleasant that your staff hides problems from you in the future. And you really want to put yourself in the position where you and whoever's bringing you this problem are on the same team. So someone brings you an issue, then you say, let's look at this together and try to figure this out. But above all, we want to set the example in our office that we are not afraid of problems. Uh, we're not afraid of talking about them, addressing them, that we run towards a problem instead of away from a problem. And I think that that attitude really starts with the leader, the orthodontist, the owner of the practice. You might say, you know, but Lance, I'm, I'm annoyed that because my team is always bringing me these small problems and they constantly want me to solve all of these things. And I would submit that perhaps in that is a reflection on you as a leader, that maybe you've done a poor job delegating in the past, that maybe you're a little bit of a micromanager. It could be that you need to go back and revisit job descriptions and really clearly outline what the responsibility is for each position in your office and what you know, authority those people have and to make decisions uh, without having to consult you constantly. But let's say this is something that you're challenged with currently, you know, and you want to say, how can I empower my team? Dr. Kyle Fagala gave a great analogy for this uh, in talking about doing social media that I've really applied to all aspects of, of staff. And uh, he talked about, you know, 5% and 90% and 5%, meaning that you want to be involved maybe in the initial 5% of this project. 90% of the work is done by your, by your team. And then maybe you want to check at the end and the last 5% just to make sure that it's done exactly right. If, if you can't let go of the control completely and you don't completely trust someone to make the decision that you want. So you, for instance, in our office recently, we needed a new lead apron. Uh, this was announced to me that our new old lead apron was falling apart and looked really bad. I think it was still functional from a safety standpoint, but it was just 
not what we want to present to patients. So Dr. Miller, we need a new lead apron, you know, kind of with the expectation that I would solve the problem. So I said, look, why don't you go and find the style that you like, get me at least two quotes, bring them to me, and I'll immediately approve the order and we can get it done. So that's an example of our 5%. I clearly outline the task. I set them to go do it. They can do the researching, get the quotes, get the style, come back to me. I'll approve it, and then we can order. Hopefully that was useful for you. We're going to jump into our interview now. But first, a message from the sponsor of this episode, the Aligner Intensive Fellowship, which you can find at alignerfellowship.com. This episode of the Elevate Orthodontics podcast is sponsored by the Aligner Intensive Fellowship course, where together we will accomplish something greater. For orthodontists only, this course taught by Drs. Maz Mashiri and me, Jonathan Nikosesis, is a comprehensive four-month online course where you learn all things aligner therapy. From biomechanic principles to logistical systems for seamless office integration and the economics of more aligners in your practice. Think of it as a 12-chapter online dynamic textbook where the content is broken down in videos posted throughout each week. And you are able to ask questions in real time in a virtual classroom setting from the convenience of your own home or office on your own computer or cell phone without having to travel. With the ability of applying the course content to any aligner system or in-office solution of your choosing, the Aligner Intensive Fellowship is where together we will certainly accomplish something greater. I recently put out a request in our Elevate Orthodontics Facebook group for suggestions for people to talk to who were kind of newer, more recently graduated from their orthodontic residency. You might say, well, hey, Lance, you're pretty recently graduated as well, which is true. But I wanted to take a chance to talk with someone about some of these issues. And so I got a number of great suggestions. And I want to thank you guys for giving me uh, lots of great names of people. And I was able to connect with a few of them. We invited Dr. Gigi Peralkar to come onto the podcast uh, to talk about those things with us. Uh, as an aside, if you're not a member of our Facebook group, go and search for us on Facebook, Elevate Orthodontics Podcast. But let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Peralkar. Uh, she was born and raised in Belleville, New Jersey. And she went to Boston University and graduated with a degree in engineering. And then she decided to go work for IBM as an IT consultant for five years and eventually decided to return to school to pursue a career in dentistry. She attended dental school at Columbia University and did her orthodontic training at Rutgers. Dr. Gigi is married. She has a daughter and her and her family live in northern New Jersey in the New York metro area. So I'm excited to welcome to the podcast, Dr. Gigi Peralkar. Dr. Peralkar, welcome to our show. Thanks for having me, Lance. This is really amazing. I love this podcast so much and what you're doing for the profession. Thank you. Thank you. I'm reading here on your website, and it says that you like to binge watch sci-fi shows and movies. Do you have any recommendations oh. for our audience? <laughs> So many. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see. I just finished uh, watching Altered Carbon um, on oh, Netflix. Oh, was that good? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, oh, I thought cool. that, that was really great. And there's another series, I think, on Amazon Prime that we're starting to watch called um, Electric Dreams, I think it is. And uh, that one's pretty good, too. That one's kind of like a short story type of thing where the episodes aren't 
I guess that they don't have any continuity. So you could watch something for 30 minutes and then move on, which is good. So like for Black me. Mirror sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So that way you don't have to feel like, oh, my God, I missed this episode or um, right, I, don't, right. I don't have to feel guilty if I skip ahead without my husband. So. <laughs> right. Right. OK. You know, I'm really excited to have you on the podcast today, Gigi. Um, you know, we are going to talk a little bit about some of the issues uh, facing new graduates, people just out of school. I know you graduated from your orthodontic residency in 2014. So, you know, we're coming up on four years here. And I'd like to begin by maybe flashing back to before your graduation. And I'm curious what your perceptions were of, of, you know, what life was going to be like after you graduated and kind of the things that you and your fellow residents were concerned with or excited about. Um, take us back a little bit to, you know, your thoughts at that time. I, I think that probably most of us were worried about trying to find jobs, you know, trying to find an associateship. Um, a lot of us were seeing, okay, is there a practice that maybe we could um, start working and partner, maybe eventually buy in or maybe buy out um, the, you know, older doc. Um, but um, I mean, for me, I kind of knew that I wasn't necessarily ready to just start up or anything like that. I really wanted to um, try and figure out, okay, um, I like to practice this way and I, I guess really try and flesh out what I wanted. So I was looking for associateships and I think I had in my mind this like picture perfect idea, right? So I didn't want to work a corporate job. Um, I didn't want to start, you know, up in like, I, I guess like an ortho practice inside a GP office. I was trying to find that orthodontic practice where I could be the younger associate and then I guess eventually buy in. You know, it's kind of tricky when you're in residency because you've got these professors or, you know, part-time faculty coming in and some of them are telling you, oh, you're an orthodontist. You, you know, you've got the golden ticket. It's going to be amazing. And then you hear these other stories about, oh, it's actually quite competitive and, and there's all these student loans. And so, I mean, how, how did you and your residents kind of think about, you know, what the future was going to be like? Was it, was it excitement? Was it fear? How did those things kind of fit together? I think we were excited because we didn't know any better <laughs> in a way. And, and, and I'm going to explain that. I think when you're a resident, you know, when you're a dental student, it's really difficult to imagine what it's going to be like to pay back your loans. You know, I went to expensive schools. I, I'd gone to Columbia for my dental education, you know, private school. And then um, I did my ortho residency at Rutgers University. You know, the tuition really, really racked up. And, you know, it, it's, it's tricky to really know. So I, I think that you're so excited because you're finally going to be an orthodontist. You know, it's this goal you've been working for for years and years, you know. But then I think you get out and a couple of realities set in. I have to repay this debt. So you have to figure out, okay, exactly how am I going to do that? And that is um, a, a little bit of a snake pit, you know, to kind of figure out. You know, your family situation or your life situation also comes into play, you know, in terms of how you're going to structure your life. So what I did was I chose to kind of live like a resident. Because, um, you know, I mean, I, I had a goal that I really wanted 
to try um, to pay down my debt as soon as possible. Um, and, and that was something that my husband and I really wanted to do. So that was something that informed kind of how I lived afterwards. I think I was expecting that I was going to be making a lot more than I actually do. And I, I, I make a good living. I don't mean to say that I don't, but I, I think maybe taking home more is what I mean. Sure, so. sure. So, you know, knowing kind of a little bit more what you know now, would you give yourself any advice as a resident about how to think about the future or how to use your time wisely uh, during your residency? You you want to try and envision where you want to be in five years and, and make a plan to try and get there. It, it sounds kind of cliche, but I think it's important. I think you really have to ask yourself, okay, um, do I see myself as a practice owner? Do I see myself you know, as an associate? Um, do I want to work full-time? Do I want to work part-time? And then you need to compare that with what you have to do, right? Because for me, we started doing calculations and we realized that with the debt burden that I had, it, it, working part-time wasn't going to be an option. So, I mean, for me to kind of say, hey, you know, I think I'm going to work three days a week and then the other days I'm going to be home, you know, and uh, we're going to have some kids and I'm going to watch them. That was not going to be something that was going to be in, 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 in good keeping with our goals, you know, financially. So I think it's important to do that work. Sure. You know, when, when you get out of school, it seems like there's kind of two different schools of thought. One is look for the best opportunity, you know, basically across the United States, urban, rural, wherever. And, and the other is live where you want to live or where you have to live and, and kind of make it work. You know, I, I know you live kind of close to where you grew up. Is, is that kind of the second approach is kind of what you took? Yeah. So it certainly would have been easier, I think, um, had I moved. You know, I, I had some co-residents that were like, hey, you know, um, why don't you come out to Michigan? Why don't you go here? And I had classmates of mine that moved. And it seems like life is a little bit easier for them. Um, here in the Northeast, it's it's very, very competitive. And I don't want to say that to, you know, make anybody nervous or upset or anything, but you know, it's just the real world, you know? For example, I don't work in Manhattan, but, you know, I know a couple of friends that do. And I mean, the per diem that they're able to draw down there is lower because there's so much competition for jobs. And, you know, the overheads that the doctors are carrying are greater because, you know, of simply the location. So I, I think that those are things you have to think about. Um, I couldn't move because, you know, I have some family obligations here um, that, you know, I couldn't just pick up and, and leave. But I think if you have the option of maybe finding a part of the country where you're okay being, um, where the competition is a little bit less, you may achieve your goals sooner. Um, so that's just something to consider. Sure, sure. So, okay, you're here, you're in uh, kind of New York metro area and getting out and you, you've already alluded that, you know, one of your big priorities, you know, as a resident was, was getting a job and maybe you can share with us what you ended up doing and what advice you'd have, you know, for people who are looking to evaluate all these different options. Kind of tell us a little bit about kind of your, your journey and, and the, the opportunities you were able to put together. 
Sure. Um, so the way I went about trying to find work was, um, I think the first thing is, you know, try and talk to your professors, see if any of them are looking for an associate. They may be, or maybe you could get some, try and get some experience, um, by helping them out in their offices. So that's one. I think another really great resource are actually the reps. So the thing about orthodontic reps is they have a network. They know their doctors. They want to help their doctors, you know, because it helps them to win business. So, you know, if they can find an associate for a client of theirs, you know, it's something that looks good upon them. So I would say, you know, try and be nice to the reps when you're a resident. You know, it's not just like all about the free dinner or whatever. And then I would also say, lastly, um, Try and check out the state ortho group. You know, I went to, right. yeah, I mean, I went to the NJO and I found an orthodontist who's, you know, great. Um, I absolutely love my boss um, and I've been with him ever since I was a resident. So, it, you know, it, it was the kind of thing where he didn't want to place a general ad. So he just advertised, um, you know, underneath the NJO for the newer doctors. And that's how I found him. Right. So. Right. So what does your employment situation look like today? And did, did it all kind of come at once or did you add to it as you went along? So my employment situation today basically looks like I have two employers. I work for an orthodontist um, who's amazing. Uh, his name is Dr. Lorino and he's a great orthodontist and he's a wonderful boss and mentor. I've been working as an associate for him in uh, about two of his practices. And then I am now working for a corporate chain, and they were recently bought by Dimensional Dental, which is a larger DSO. They're located in central and southern New Jersey. And I work out of one of their offices as the orthodontist in a group practice setting. I like both jobs because I'm allowed to be independent. And for me, that was something that I think as a new grad, I was nervous about, but then as I started to feel more comfortable, um, it ended up being, you know, a great situation for me. I, n I never thought that I would work in a corporation and it ended up being a great situation for me. So I would say try and go into things without a preconceived notion because you really don't know until you try on the job. Yeah. And and when we're going to talk a little bit uh, later in the podcast that, you know, you're also working in, in a practice that you just recently started up. So you're definitely juggling, you know, a lot of balls. You know, you've, you've certainly evaluated a lot of associateships and opportunities. Are there any other things that, that, that kind of you're looking for? Or you feel like work particularly well? What, what makes a good associateship? And, and what are the things, you know, that you've already mentioned some, but what are the things that kind of you should avoid? I feel most comfortable um, if I'm working on a per diem, you know, um, I don't mind working hard. I don't mind seeing a lot of patients in my schedule. Try and find a situation where you can try to almost pretend like you're the owner, you know, um, try that right. on for size. Because I think for most orthodontists, that's probably where they ultimately want to be. So learn that as an associate, you know, try to make your employer, you know, as, as really as successful as, as they can be by being a good support. You know, I, I like being independent. You know, I like knowing, um, that I can reach out to, um, 
the owner, you know? So if there's a difficult case or whatever, I, I like knowing that we can talk about it. But I also like that I'm, I'm free to treat, you know, and I'm free to make those decisions. Um, I, I think if you're going to work in a group practice or in a corporate situation, you, you want to try and make sure that you're not going to have someone who's dictating treatment plans to you and things like that. And I think the other thing you need to think about is if there have been a long string of orthodontists in that position before you, you need to realize that you may not be the hero, you know, with the cape that's going to rescue this job. The conventional wisdom, whether it's true or not, is that working for, you know, a big corporation or a big corporate style practice has all sorts of drawbacks and that, you know, the smaller offices are always better. I don't know that's necessarily true. You know, what's your experience in that regard? So I was really down on it initially, you know, and I thought I don't want to contribute to, I don't know, the demise of the small practice owner. You know, I don't want to do that because it's something that I believe in and, you know, I, I, I didn't like it. But I was in a situation where I had been in an associateship and we were going to partner eventually. And it turned out that, um, you know, it, it wasn't his fault, but I mean, financially, he couldn't afford to keep me on and he had to make some changes to his practice. And um, I could tell it was so difficult for us to part, but, you know, it had to be done so he could save his practice. And I kind of found myself with one day a week of work and I was eight weeks pregnant and it was two days before Thanksgiving. And my loans were going to wow. kick in in January. So I thought to myself, okay, it's time to start looking for jobs. So like in between kind of wiping my tears <laughs> and like trying to network and find a job, I ended up calling a rep and um, she said, hey, I know of this corporate position. And I, I said, okay, well, I'm going to be open-minded because in my situation, I can't really turn down work. And she said, look, it's a high-end place. You're going to work with good materials. J just come check it out. Just keep an open mind. And I did. And I was so happy that I did because it ended up being steady work. They needed me. I wasn't going to be, um, I didn't have anyone looking over my shoulder. I could practice how I wanted to practice. It wasn't like it was a huge volume of patients either. So in a lot of ways, it fit. And I actually ended up staying there for a lot longer than I thought. And I'm still there and I still like it. So... I get my benefits through my husband's work because he has a corporate job. But let's say that I didn't. They offer benefits. I mean, medical insurance is something you need. You know, um, they sure. they offer some benefits that are very attractive. So I think if it suits your situation, you know, it, it's something to consider. And the other thing I would say is I remember going to a CE course and I had a fellow orthodontist say, you're part of the problem because you work at a place like that. And I think as a wow. profession, we just have to stop doing that to each other. <laughs> you know, That's I mean, for sure. yeah, because had you been in my shoes and my situation, I, I'm pretty sure you would have thought about it, you know? Um, so, and it yeah. ended up being something that was a, a really great um, job for me that was steady and I enjoy it. So, yeah, I mean, I right. think that and, and, and what you do on this podcast is is good to lift people up and to kind of 
go against that. So I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I think we definitely are, we're all out there. We're all doctors. We're all colleagues, and and trying to navigate our way through these issues. I mean, they're 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 kind of thorny issues at times. Um, you know, speaking of which, you know, I think as you're you know evaluating these different associateships, I'm sure you must have had your fair share of contracts and you know legal things that you had to deal with you know did you have the help of of a of a lawyer or an accountant how 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 does how do people know whether they've got a good contract sitting in front of them or or not that's a really good question so um i am of the belief that it's important to hire an attorney to review at least your first contract maybe even your second and the reason why is because in the moment, you may be desperate for work, but there's going to come a time where maybe you won't be, maybe you want to open up in a certain area. And that contract is meant to protect the other party more than you. And I, I mean, I think it, it should do that, right? I mean, as an owner, like you, you want to try and protect yourself from somebody who you bring into your office from opening up across the street. But you know, I think the things to look for is that your restrictive covenant is not um, too broad. So, for example, if I had a 10-mile radius where I practice in New Jersey, there would be like a whole part of the state where I couldn't practice, right? Um, right. It, it could even cover parts of Manhattan and some of the boroughs and things like that. So, I mean, that's just not feasible. So, um, but if you find a boilerplate contract, it, it may have a 10 mile radius or maybe even 15 miles. So I, I think you got to look at the radius. Um, I think you also need to look at the terms. Um, sometimes there will be terms about how you can market or advertise yourself, or um, there can be clauses for um, leaving. So, okay, what happens if you have to leave the position? What happens to the cases? Um, do you have to finish those cases? You have to think about all those things, you know, and then I, I think also planning out in terms of your associateships where you're going to be working. You know, it's not a dumb thing to maybe have a bit of a commute in the beginning to kind of protect where you eventually may want to open or purchase a practice. Um, I, I, I drive out, you know, quite a bit just to not kind of run afoul of those things. Um, yeah, I think and, that's Great advice. I think a lot of residents, though, think, well, I don't have the money. What I would say is try and set aside the money when you're a resident because it's probably going to cost you less than $1,000. But it, if you do run into a problem, the attorney's fees are going to cost you way more. So besides all of this kind of negotiating, you know, jobs, employments, uh, contracts, associateships, what did you find uh, was the biggest change in terms of your practice uh, dealing with patients and clinical? You know, you, you, you're in residency and you're kind of experimenting and learning. You get out. Now you're actually practicing. What are the things that you felt like you kind of learned or, or quickly realized in, in your first year or two out of residency? Not every case can be a board case. I think that's difficult. I think that's difficult yep. to grasp because I feel like as a resident, when you graduate, you're, you're shooting for perfection. Maybe you've just taken the boards and you, you want to be that perfect orthodontist, you know, and, and, and I'm not saying it's not something that you should strive for. I mean, sure, certainly you should. 
but um, there are times when you need to cut the cord. Um, and it's for the best interest of the patient, for you, maybe for the parents. And I think it takes a little bit of time to like learn when to let go of a case. And the other thing I would say is I learned a lot of different techniques at the residency program that I went to, for which I'm really grateful. However, I, I think coming out, you need to hone what works for you um, and how to be efficient because you don't have forever in a day to treat a case. Yeah, I think those are both fantastic and really spot on. Um, what are the resources that you found to be useful to kind of improve your clinical skills or your ability since you've been out of residency? Are there courses or materials you've been using to kind of continue to learn and grow? The Facebook groups have been really, really great for me. Pragmatic, the Orthopreneurs Group, and there's a bunch of them that are really, really good. Seeing people kind of post their cases or maybe post their techniques, things that I haven't seen, it's great for me because, you know, I'm always working, um, but I have my phone so I can look on Facebook and, you know, I can see a pearl or something that's, you know, I can actually put into practice, which is great. Um, the the other thing I like going to is I happen to use a Damon bracket, so I do like going to the forum. Um, I'm not going, you know... I'm not going this year, but um, that's really helpful. Um, I, I yeah. think you do get like some motivation after taking, you know, some real in-person CE. Yeah, that's a great meeting. Well, let's switch gears a little bit. You're also, in addition to being an orthodontist, a mom, a relatively new parent. Uh, tell us a little bit about your daughter and the things you've learned about balancing your different roles that you have uh, going on in your life right now. Well, I, I love being a mom. That's like, I mean, other than being an orthodontist, which really is the best job ever. I mean, being a mom is, is equal. But I mean, trying to balance everything is really, really tricky. And I, I think what I would say to a new mom or dad is you're going to need help. So, uh, you know, especially if you're working full time. And for you, full time, you're working six days. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I really need <laughs> a lot like of help. That's like more than full time. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, my day, I leave the house anywhere between 7 to 7.45. So, um, what worked for me was having a nanny. So, I have a nanny who gets to the house at around 7, and she stays until 5 p.m. And then after that, my mom or my husband basically watches the baby until I get home at around 7, 7.30. So I have a lot of coverage there. And the reason why I chose a nanny instead of a daycare was because my husband, he occasionally travels for work. And if my daughter's sick, I can't be called to come pick her up and then stay at home because I have patients, <laughs> you know? Right. So, and she's great. I mean, I would say if you can try to hire a nanny who could also maybe do some personal assistant things for you. That's the best kind of blend for, uh, I would say, a female orthodontist. Because, you know, and I don't want to make it out like the guys don't do a lot of work. You guys do a lot of work. But I feel like as a mom, just there's certain things that just fall on your shoulders. And I, I heard a really great quote from um, Ariana Huffington, and she said, they take the baby out, they put the guilt back in. Um, so, yeah. and I think that's true. I mean, it's tough. So you want to try and find people 
that you can trust so that you can go out there and you can do your job. That's an incredible situation to be in to have to balance, you know, all of those different things. And I do think that falls disproportionately on the female members of our profession. And, uh, you know, I've got I've got a lot of admiration for for people that are just trying to navigate that. Like you say, everyone's making different decisions, but everyone's trying to do their best. Yeah. And, um, you know, kids are really resilient, you know, I'm I'm not going to see my daughter tonight, but, you know, when I see her tomorrow morning, she's going to be happy to see me. And, you know, you you have to think about it like you're teaching your kids, you know, how to work hard. You know, like I remember when my dad was a general dentist and he would work on Saturdays and of course I missed him. But it's useful to me now because I work on Saturdays and six days a week, too. But he did it for us. So I didn't resent him for it. It taught me hard work. You know, try and go easy on yourself, too. It's going to be fine. Well, let's talk a little bit about student loans. You know, how, when you got out, did you, you you said when you're a resident, you don't think about debt perhaps in the same way as you do when you get out and you have to start paying it back. But, you know, what was your experience? You know, how how was it like coming out and, and, and what are the strategies you've used to kind of attack that debt? Yes. So that is a huge question. Um, I graduated with... worth of student loan debt. And that's not a figure that you hear a lot. On podcasts, you hear a lot about the national average, which I think is closer to around 300,000, maybe 400,000. But if you're going to become an orthodontist and you go to expensive schools, I think my debt burden is maybe more, you know, common. So my husband is 15 years older than I am. So he's 52 and I'm 37. Um, I worked before going to dental school for five years at IBM. So our household situation is a little bit different. We, we didn't want to be carrying this debt around for 25, 30 years. It just, we didn't want that. Sure. Um, and so we made some hard choices, to be honest. One of the things that we did was... We had already moved to New Jersey. We, you know, we we had a townhouse that we were living in in East Chester, New York. And we were thinking, okay, are we going to rent it? Are we going to sell it? What are we going to do? And we ended up selling our townhouse. And we used some of the money from the sale of that house. And we bought down some of my debt. And the thing that I would tell people to do is... You want to try to attack the individual loans as much as you can, because if you're trying to pay them off, you know, in aggregate, you're never going to get to the principal. So you can either do that a, a couple of ways. You either kind of work a lot, live like a resident, save up that money, put it towards a specific loan, but you want to you have to stop that clock because the interest rates on these grad plus loans are so high. So you like this divide and conquer where you kind of are attacking, you know, the individual smaller loans and then you can kind of check mark them off and say, okay, that one's gone and now on to the next one. Absolutely. So go for the low hanging fruit first. Um, you know, try and go for the smaller loans first and get them out of the way, but also try and balance that against what your highest interest rate loans are, um, b- because those are the ones that are hurting you the most. We did do that, and 
At this moment, I think I'm sitting at around 300,000. Wow, that's substantial improvement. Yeah, but I mean, when I tell you that I live like a resident, I probably lived better as a resident, to be honest. Um, we, we, we really like, we watch our spending a lot, you know, and it's not to say that we don't go out on dates and things like that. But, you know, I really kind of am, am looking at everything because, you know, I want to be free of this. Because if you think about it, the moment that you're free of carrying, you know, such a big you know, burden on your shoulders. I mean, that's money that's going to be in your pocket eventually if to either save or to put towards the house or, you know, whatever the case is. Right. You feel like your approach is kind of more proactive than people you graduated with? Or do you feel like more of the people you, you went to school with are, are maybe a little bit more comfortable with the debt or, or letting it ride? How do you feel like you kind of rank in, in this uh, issue among your colleagues of similar age? Um, I don't really know. And I think the other thing to consider is, um, you know, and, and this kind of goes back to having your plan for five years. So, um, let's say for example, that you're going to start a practice and you need to get that practice loan, right? Um, having too much student loan debt is going to look poorly on you to try and obtain that financing. But on the flip side, if you have no money in the bank because you've been paying off your debt, that doesn't look great either because the banks want to see that liquidity. So I think you kind of have to look at what it is you're about to do and and, and then kind of move from there. I, I know people that are on income-based repayment because they figure that that's kind of the best deal and they'll worry about it later. I think that that's not a great approach. And the reason being is because we're seeing all of these articles come out now about how, you know, the whole solvency of the system is is kind of, I guess, being really disrupted by certain programs, you know, about the debt forgiveness and about the income-based repayment. So it, it, especially now um, in the political climate that we have, I don't really know how long those programs are going to be around if they're going to be around. So I think yeah. trying to make a plan on that is not so smart. But I mean, again, like I, I kind of hate being in debt. So it's something that I, <laughs> I, I personally pursue pretty aggressively, you know. Right. Um, right. Other people might be okay with it. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing that with us. I mean, I think that, you know, that's, you know, $690,000 is a pretty staggering number, but it's a number that I hear as well from people. Uh, you know, you, you get these averages of three and 400, but um, I think your situation, you know, is one that people find themselves in and, you know, are uh, kind of grappling to come to turn with terms with. So getting it out there and, and letting people know that they're not alone, um, you know, that there are, you know, are different ways that you can approach it, but, you know, that uh, there's a lot of colleagues that are that are in there and i think for older orthodontists maybe not that much older than than you, you know, i think that kind of puts into perspective a little bit the situation that some of our younger or more recently graduated colleagues are dealing with yeah i mean it's definitely hard right because you know you think if you're going to be offering you know a position for a new grad right and they're coming into your office and they're asking for like a thirteen hundred dollar per diem Right. You're kind of floored, right? And and you should be. But you you also have to consider maybe what 
these kids are up against, you know, and I don't mean to call them kids because I'm including myself in that camp and I'm 37, but it's, it's just, it's difficult, you know? Um, and I, I also don't want to make it seem like, Hey, woe is me. I, I look, right. I made my choices, you know, and I'm paying the piper for it. And for me, it was the way that I had to do it. So there's no point in crying over spilt milk. It's just, I, I think that there's understanding that needs to occur on both sides of what's realistic to be asking for. And then also what is the position of the person who's coming in asking for that job? Sure. Sure. And I think, you know, you've got a great attitude and obviously a plan. I like how you're, you know, dealing with reality and, and moving forward to get yourself to towards those goals, those five-year goals, those 10-year goals. And um, I know you recently uh, started your own practice. Uh, what prompted that decision and, and how did you know it was the right time and kind of the right opportunity to move forward with that? What ended up happening with me was, I, I guess it would have been 2015, and um, I ended up driving by a medical and dental office building on my way home, and there was a for sale sign. And I said, well, I'm going to take a look at it because it's probably going to look like crap anyway. Um, and, 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 and then I'll be satisfied. And I looked at the office and, um, I liked it and I saw a potential. And then I went back and I started making calls and I did a demographic search and I did my homework and, uh, decided this is my time. And, uh, I ended up getting a small business loan to purchase, um, a condo and then I ended up doing the demo and doing the renovation, and now I'm open. And yeah, it's congratulations. It's, it's, when did you when did you open? I opened in September of 2017. Um, not the best time to open for an orthodontist, but, but you know, construction <laughs> being what it is, you, you sometimes can't help what happens in construction. But I mean, it's got a lot of pluses to it. I'm trying to enjoy the highs, and I'm trying to kind of not get too discouraged by the lows. It's, it's different than being an associate for sure. So, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah you, it's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a really exciting place to be. And I, like I say, I know that there's a lot of momentum to build. What do you feel like, what do you feel like is consuming the most of your attention in your practice? Is it, is it new patient acquisition? Is it, is it staffing or, or, you know, where are you looking to kind of make the biggest leap in 2018 with your practice? Marketing. Um, I think marketing was a blind spot for me and learning insurance. You don't really learn either of those two things when you're a dental student or a resident. Um, and when you, you know, even if you do get a little bit, it doesn't really make sense to you. So I would say that those are the two areas that I'm really trying to learn a lot about. And, you know, the other thing too is that I feel like how we interact and choose doctors and even just other things that we purchase, I think that consumer behaviors are changing so much. Social media has changed so much um, in the past five years. So I'm really trying to get a handle on that because I feel like I'm more of like a generation Xer than a millennial. And being online and trying to have a social media presence isn't really natural to me. So trying to learn and navigate those waters is a, is a different thing. I would say like, this is where like when you're an associate, learn how those offices do what they do, like learn how they file claims, learn, sure. 
what they say to the insurance companies. I mean, I got one office manager I work with where she's so good at talking to insurance companies. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so I just, I'm like, hey, insurance Amy, teach me how to do this. And she does. So, you know, learn while you're doing it. Don't just like tune out and be like, I'm going to write my chart in the back and eat my lunch, you know? Um, yeah. Yep. Well, I have no doubt, Gigi, that you're going to be very successful in this new practice because I can just tell you're the type of person that, you know, you're, you've got a plan, you have such a clear vision of where you're going and you work that plan. Um, and I, I think you can't help but be successful. Oh, thank you, Lance. From your lips to God's ears. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, good. Well, let's finish with our uh, lightning round here, our Elevate Express 8. We're going to do eight quick questions and get some quick answers for you. How's that sound? Sounds awesome. Gigi, what's your go-to treatment for full-step class twos? The Forces Appliance. I have a love-hate relationship with it. <laughs> what's your standard retention protocol? Um, lower three to three fixed um, with gold chain and an upper Essex. If there's a diastema, maybe an upper one-to-one. -one. Cool. Who are your role models or mentors? The first role model I have is my dad. My dad was a GP and um, he passed away when I was 22. His passing motivated me to go into dentistry and follow in his footsteps. And um, he never got to be a practice owner because, you know, he had little kids and he was trying to fulfill his obligations and he wanted to have that stability. And it was something that, you know, I always kind of had hoped that he would have lived out that dream, but he just kind of ran out of road. So um, I feel like I've picked up that torch for him. And, you know, this is kind of how I honor his memory. And he just taught me how to be a good person, how to have a strength of character. So he's my number one in life type of role model. Um, yeah, that's then, really cool. Yeah, I mean, it, you can't get any better than that. He was a wonderful man um, and a really great dentist. What's your favorite orthodontic product or instrument? I was thinking about this one because I knew you were going to ask it. Um, <laughs> and it's so random. It's L-pop. I love having an L-pop around. Yeah, I love That's it. That's a good uh, one. Yeah, for, you know, doing broken brackets, sevens, uh, turbos. Yep. I just love L-pop. Perfect. What's the best vacation you've ever taken? We went to Alaska. That was the best. Um, cool. That, I feel I've like, go there. yeah, you do. Cause I feel like you see that landscape and the beauty and stuff. And it's really just kind of life changing. So I loved going to Alaska. What's one great book you've read recently? The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. I read that. Awesome book. Yeah. I read that every few years because I always feel yeah. like I need a refresher. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he has a newer book out. Have you read this shorter book, Do the Work? Yes, I have. That's a good um, one, too. Yeah, yeah. It really is. Cool. What bracket system are you currently using? I use two. Um, I use Damon, and I also use twin brackets from American Ortho, and I like both of them. They're both great. Cool. Cool. And what's one area of orthodontics you want to learn more about in 2018? I need to learn about systems how to be efficient in terms of running a practice. Um, yeah. You know, that's that's where my focus needs to be right now. I mean, the ortho, it's always good to shoot, you know, for clinical excellence, and I continue to do that. But, 
you know, that's really kind of where the pain point is right now is trying to learn how to run the office and be efficient and put in those systems into place. Right. Well, that's one of the exciting things about being a practice owner. There's always something to learn and, and, a, and a system to work on. So good. Well, <laughs> Gigi, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm such a big fan of yours. This has been a fantastic interview and I appreciate you being willing to kind of share your story with our with our listeners. Oh, thank you so much, Lance. This was a lot of fun. I hope that this is useful for people. Thanks for all that you do. My pleasure. And, and I hope to run into you soon in person. Yes, great. That'd be awesome. Thank you. Talk to you later. Okay, bye. All right, guys, we'll wrap up this episode. I want to thank Dr. Peralcard for coming on the podcast and sharing her experiences and insights with us. And I'd like to give a special thanks to today's sponsor, the Aligner Intensive Fellowship. Check them out at alignerfellowship.com. Have a great week. We'll talk to you again later. Thank you for listening to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. For more episodes, subscribe on iTunes or visit our website at elevateorthopodcast.com. Tune in next week for another great episode.